This April, the Moonshot Podcast Network is doing something new, unparalleled, something nobody has done before. We're asking you for money. This month is the first ever Moonshot Patreon drive. Between April 1st and 30th, we're hoping to bring in 30 new and upgrading patrons to patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork. That's one per day. The money we make on Patreon is what helps our podcasters get things like new mics, show art, and music. It also helps us put on our bigger streaming events, advertise our shows, and think even bigger. If you know us, you know we like to think bigger. Join the Patreon in April and you'll get a bunch of drive-exclusive new podcasts, including actual plays, improv comedy, and a roundtable show with some of the hosts of our book talk shows like Three Little Words and Kahooligans. $5 Patreons get to join us for a game night on our Minecraft server on April 7th where we take down the Ender Dragon together. You hate that guy, so do we. Help us kill him. You'll also get access to all of our usual monthly output like Once Missed Wonders, early episodes of Champs in the Making, and more. So please join us or upgrade with us today on Patreon for $1, $3, or $5 at patreon.com slash Moonshot Network. Visit us on Patreon or at Moonshot Pods on Twitter for more details about the drive. Patreon.com slash Moonshot Network. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all but the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The House of Hades. How are you doing today, Jane? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I've once again been touching grass today. I, I went to a big park and walked around and my shoes are really muddy. Hell yeah. That's, that's how you know that life has been good. That's how you know that life has been good. You know that life has been especially good when you like go to the library afterwards, uh, and you uh, because it's not very busy. You like stick your feet up on another chair, which is like made of white plastic. Uh, and then when you when you take your feet away, you realize that the chair is absolutely filthy. Jane, no. So you tuck it under the under the table and you leave quickly before anyone notices. <laughs> oh, you're a fucking criminal. <laughs> I, that's amazing. In that library, they probably had copies of Percy Jackson. Uh, it was an academic library, so almost certainly they did not. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> well, Jane, it, it should be easy enough for them to wipe away your crimes uh, since it was plastic. <laughs> I, I think that's just fine of you to do. Thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad you support all of my chair besmirching endeavors. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm doing all right. I have been on a bit of a quest today. Uh, just sort of a, a, a minor a minor goal uh, of which it is that I am trying to be at all productive instead of lying in bed. Uh, Oof, turns out, yeah. T- turns out it's a little bit nice uh, to do to, <laughs> to do a little bit of stuff. Yeah, good job. Thank you, thank you. I I got out of the shower and I was like, wow, I'm a human being. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> shall we shall we go into news? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, there was some news that we were supposed to cover last week and then didn't because we're idiots. Yeah, so we talked pretty recently on the show about uh, our excitement about the casting of the sort of the Olympians. Uh, since then, the news has broken uh, very sadly that Lance Reddick, who was uh, Zeus in season one, I guess, of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, uh, has passed away. 
uh, Rick Riordan wrote a big blog post sort of celebrating his life and his work and saying that, uh, as for me, I have trouble believing such a force of nature could ever really be gone. I will choose to think that maybe Mount Olympus simply had need of their king. Godspeed, Mr. Reddick, and thank you. Oh, It's sweet. So it's 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 uh it's a bit sad it's 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 sad yeah and i i guess they're probably going to have to cast a new person for the next seasons why couldn't it have been lin-manuel miranda (laughs) (laughs) i i didn't want to say it but in my heart (laughs) i felt it Uh, yeah it, it sucks lance reddick was like a really good actor and like he was really good in like john wick i know a lot of people liked him in destiny and stuff like that yeah yeah so you know rest in peace uh and in other news we're getting closer and closer to the sun and the star uh hitting hitting shelves it's out may 2nd wait jesus fucking this this is one of many many things that i had filed in my brain under happening basically forever away don't worry about it and now it's right around the corner (laughs) no yep it's happening in like a month Everything that I I do that with uh, suddenly sneaks up on me, and I don't know how it keeps happening. That's really weird. Yeah, that's really strange. <laughs> uh, this is the this is the Nico D'Angelo spinoff book, right? Yeah, it's uh it's Nico D'Angelo and a character who I think we've only met once before, named Will Solace. Uh, that name doesn't ring a bell. So probably uh, we've just met him one time. Yeah, yeah, just like a sort of a one-off character, I think, uh, who I guess will be uh, joining Nico in the book. Sure, whatever. Make make a spin-off about a Percy Jackson character and don't even make Clarice a main character. Why the fuck not? <laughs> uh, I need the fucking Clarice spin-off book. If we don't Please. get that by the time that we're done with this podcast, I'm gonna uh, do something. <laughs> You'll write it yourself, goddammit. I guess I will. The last, like, 20 episodes of this will be us covering my fucking epic of a Clarice fanfic. <laughs> Listen, I, I do that. Yeah, yeah, we we can collaborate on it. It's fine. One of my favorite, <laughs> one of my old favorite podcasts, uh, Jurgenit, which was about the secret life of the American teenager, spent like their last two seasons just doing different fan fictions uh, that were like theoretically what the final season of that show would be, and that was pretty amazing. Oh, so when when the same guys went on to do Doctor Ha, huh, and a few uh-huh. weeks ago they were threatening that, like, when they're out of episodes, they'll just start covering, like, the fake seasons that people made on fan wikis. That was a serious threat. Yes, it was. I didn't realize that. <laughs> oh, it's it's incredible. Uh, but anyway, stream Jurgenet, stream on Wise Girls, stream Doctor Huh? What the fuck am I saying? Uh, I... I guess I'm promoting shows I like. <laughs> Including on Wise Girls, which you're listening to now, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, speaking of listening to Unwise Girls, uh, you probably want uh, doing that because you want to hear us talk about like Percy Jackson and shit. So, uh, Jacqueline, talk about Percy Jackson and shit in the form of summaries. Sounds good. All right. Uh, chapter 27, Hazel. Hazel and Jason climb up the cliff to the robber, but Hazel wishes anyone else was with her. Jason's the guy who brought up the idea of not saving Nico in the last book, and maybe he'd put the quest over Hazel too. Plus, the prophecy says the world is going to end in storm or fire, and he's the storm guy. He's confident in her, though. He says she'll definitely be able to figure out the mist, well, with his instincts and all. When they reach the top, the robber shows himself. He's the son of Poseidon named Skyron, so skilled with flintlock pistols that he can hold them and the Argo 2 crew hostage simultaneously. He's also apparently in league with the giant turtle. Hazel summons a bunch of precious metals for him, but what he actually wants is the statue of Athena, as Gaia commanded him to retrieve it for himself. 
Jason and Hazel make the argument that Gaia will just destroy the world after that, leaving him without anything to plunder, so he considers that and says he'll let them go, but they have to wash his feet first. He kicks off his boots, showing off his big, stinky, gross feet, and that's when Hazel realizes who Skyron is. He was a thief who spent his time kicking his victims off cliffs until Theseus came around and put a stop to it. Hazel and Jason huddle up, and since they know they can't defeat him in direct combat, Hazel's going to have to use the mist. Chapter 28, Hazel. After their strategy talk, they go back to Skyron, Jason gets down to clean his smelly toes, and when the robber rears up to kick him, Hazel uses the mist to make him see exactly what he expects. Jason flying off the cliff, the turtle snapping him up, the crew of the Argo 2 screaming in grief, and Hazel absolutely horrified. She begs him not to kill her, and he laughs at her, saying that if she cleans his feet, he'll totally let her live. Hazel uses that to reposition them both so that even though he sees them still facing the edge of the cliff, he actually just ends up kicking her into the safety of a field. The confusion gives Jason, who's still alive and well, the opportunity to fly from above and knock Skyron off the cliff, right into the turtle's maw himself. Jason and Hazel celebrate for a moment before Hazel's vision goes fuzzy and Pluto appears, stable in his identity like Mars was when appearing before Frank. This is the first time Hazel's ever purposefully invoked her lineage, and that holds power. He's impressed, but warns that when she comes to the House of Hades, the sorceress, who he names as Pacify, won't be filled so easily, as they'll be inside of her maze. She'll attempt to rebuild her domain, whatever that means, and all demigods will be endangered. He says he's proud of her, but when Hazel challenges him, bringing up what Thanatos said about Pluto needing to keep his distance so he wouldn't have to bring her back to the Underworld, he simply says that isn't what he wants to see happen. He may as well have never been here. Chapter 29, Percy. The Pseudo-Furies, actually spirits of curses called R.I., have come to take vengeance against Percy and Annabeth for all the people who've cursed them with their final breaths. When Percy kills one, he ends up suffering the injury that killed Garion, the monster rancher from Battle of the Labyrinth. It's an impossible challenge. If they kill the R.I., they get cursed, and if they don't, they'll just get killed anyway. Bob is the only one who can take them out without being harmed. Annabeth kills one, and she ends up blinded, a curse from Polyphemus. Unfortunately for our heroes, things just get worse when the R.I. tell Bob that Percy not only destroyed his previous identity as Iapetus, but then kept it from him on purpose. Bob is shaken, and reveals that he didn't come here because he considered Percy to be his friend. It was because Nico always visited him, and would always tell him what a good person Percy was. That's the only reason he helped. But now, when the R.I. resume their attack, he doesn't lift his room to stop them. Chapter 30, Percy. Percy makes a run for it, leading the blinded Annabeth through the forest, dodging and slicing through R.I., bringing more and more injuries upon himself. They're eventually stopped by a cliff, and Annabeth is forced to kill another one. That curse leaves her distraught. Not just unable to be touched by Percy, teleporting away whenever he reaches for her, but fully believing that he's abandoned her to perish alone. Percy is confused at first. Who did he abandon? But then it hits him. An innocent soul, alone, and scared. Calypso. He doesn't want to believe she cursed him, but he still knows it's true. Chapter 31, Percy. As Percy keeps fighting, the curses keep piling up, and soon enough, the worst of them all hits. As he tricked Phineas into drinking the Gorgon's blood, the curse visits the same upon him. As he begins to die, the veil of Tartarus lifts, and he finally sees it for what it is, as Nico saw it, fully understanding the horror they're inside of. In what may be his final words, he calls for Bob, apologizing and pleading for him to protect Annabeth. He realizes just how much wrong he's done to people over the years, Calypso, Bob, and more. Having come to this understanding, he stands up, ready to go out fighting, but that's when the R.I. surrounding him explode. Chapter 32, Percy. 
Bob is here. He vaporizes pretty much all the R.I. with his broom and then scoops up Annabeth and uses his healing touch to relieve her of her curses. She's horrified when she sees Percy dying, and when she asks Bob to heal him, he's unable to. Too many people have cursed him. He can slow the poison, but not remove it entirely, and Polybides is right on their heels. Bob says there's only one person who might know what to do to save Percy. They'll have to find the good giant. So Jane, what'd you think of these chapters? I, these, these are fucking, these are harrowing, I think. Uh-huh, that's a good word. <laughs> Percy is is going through maybe the worst time he has ever had in these books. Annabeth is not far behind on that front. Uh, Hazel is kind of having to confront her, her issues with her father. Uh, and Rick Ryden has reached out from history to punish us for naming one of our episodes, This Is About Aphrodite's Feet. <laughs> Yeah, he sure has, hasn't he? He's like, oh, you, want, you fuckers want to talk about feet? All right, here's some feet. I'm going to describe these for like a paragraph. Fuck you. It's, oh, it's 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 yucky. <laughs> it's extremely yucky. Good job on making them yucky. All about his like green, jammy, toesy woesies. And it, it's absolutely horrible. It it perfectly evokes like those um those like uh, zoom in gags from SpongeBob where everything's like really gross and over detailed. Yeah, yeah. That's my picture in my head as soon as he takes his boots off. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. Actually, it it is that sort of cartoonish disgust, right? Hmm. Uh, yeah. The Hazel bit of this, I I really enjoy. T- I really enjoy all this too. Skyron is a very fun flamboyant character he's he's incredibly flamboyant and i think the funniest thing about him is that um because he's so flamboyant i kind of i reached into my brain and was like okay i need to assign a voice to this guy what's like a a greek hero voice for a really cocky arrogant piece of shit that i know oh theseus from hades then i read three (laughs) more pages and found out that theseus was the one who killed him that's really funny actually (laughs) we don't hear a lot about theseus in these books i feel like no, we get we get a lot about Hercules being a piece of shit, but I th- I wonder if maybe like Rick doesn't want to go there with Theseus because that's technically Percy's brother. Oh yeah, maybe yeah. Uh, I I really I I think the contrast of like he really is kind of hembo mode, right? Uh, like he comes <laughs> out and he's like kind of buff and he's like got the got the full on like robber outfit on and he is a little bit Robin Hood, right? He's a little, he's a little bit Robin Hood, um, and a little bit like, like you said, he's highwayman. He's like dashing highwayman, uh, which I think actually sets up a really good contrast for when he kicks off his boots. <laughs> it's true. You, you you don't really expect that at all from how he presents himself. Because he's kind of charming, right? He's like, oh, I, I'm Skyron, son of Poseidon. And then he's li- later on, he's like, well, of course, you don't know anything about me. And they're like, you already introduced yourself. And he's like, ah, actually, no, I'm just an anonymous robber. Stand and deliver. And there is also, like, the, there's the extra thing that, like, I like it when Rick Ryden does this for a villain. And he does it pretty often where they are, like, they're evil, but they're also kind of, like, they're not completely insane. Uh-huh. Like, he says, hand over the big uh, Athena statue. And they say, no, it will destroy the world if we do that. And his response to that is, fair enough, give me a big pile of gold. Well, they go for the gold, They want. It, they, he asks for the statue, and then he goes straight into, like, wash my feet or I'll kick you off the, pl- or, and I'm going to kick you off the, the cliff mode. 
so it, I guess it's kind of ambiguous whether he would he still take the statue? Would he have just taken their gold? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I feel like the rest of the crew on the Argo could probably have taken him. Probably right. He was very he was he was powerful, uh, but like he just you you go below deck so he can't shoot you, and you get uh, um, uh, Leo to just like pilot it remotely with his Wii remote, <laughs> and then you just like shoot him with a ballista point blank. I don't know why they simply didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Seems a lot easier than Hazel having to get control over the mist or whatever. The farting weasel told them they had to or something. Why is God, this here? Fuck? I don't. The, fart, the farting weasel isn't really in these chapters as much. It's, yeah, which just makes me question its existence even more. Yeah, I, it, it's for the kids, I guess. Maybe the farting weasel is pacify. Is that possible? Uh, I guess it could be. That'd be that'd be kind of a a, a weird reveal. It'd be a bit strange. It'd be a bit not make sense, but I don't know. Something about this weasel is just menacing to me. It is it is a very strange, menacing, gassy little weasel. I I'm continuing to enjoy, you know, getting chapters from Hazel's point of view. Uh I especially interested on her her view of Jason. Yeah, yeah. So Hazel uh does not like Jason and does not trust him. It's uh-huh. like is completely fair, given that he was completely willing to throw Nico under the bus in the last book. Yeah. And in general is kind of like quite cold and I don't know if calculating is the right word because he's quite stupid, but <laughs> he like he he's not particularly emotional. Yeah, and he has a form of like it makes perfect sense the view of him that she has. She's pieced mm-hmm. together like, okay, he's a very powerful guy. He's very well respected. He was like a leader before I ever got there. Uh, and from the little she's known of him, like in the current books, he is kind of standoffish, uh, which we know results from him sort of being uncomfortable with his new position on the crew. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she doesn't really know that. She just knows like this guy is sort of above it all like that's kind of how he feels yeah. like he's a little bit larger than life uh and because of that he doesn't feel like a he doesn't feel like a human being really yeah definitely which i think actually fits in really interestingly with what jason was saying like people hazel and frank probably uh don't view him in that way like they don't they don't see, or at least hazel like view don't view him as like an equal crew member even though that is what he's trying to be or what he like is looking to be you know what i mean yeah definitely like it, he he talks about like how he this is something he's self-conscious about and i also think it's, it's also um something that other members of the crew have noticed like hazel says that like she feels quite isolated in this observation she feels like it's just her who's like thinking these things but this is not far off from what piper was complaining about in the last book yeah and that's interesting because that's not just like oh you know uh frank hazel and percy never met the guy really that's that's like piper knows jason very well out of out of all of them uh and it's really interesting that she also shares that that perspective i'm just i i think these two should talk more i think they find they have a lot in common (laughs) I really do think so. But now you are proposing they talk about Jason. It sounds like uh, would not pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying. I'm trying to make this book fail the Bechdel test. That's on me. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sure it already has. <laughs> I, has it? I don't know. I'm not sure if we've gotten to the point yet where I don't know. 
Piper and Hazel were probably like, I think they were shouting a couple of things back and forth while they were fighting the turtle, and that probably wouldn't have been about a guy unless we're counting the turtle. Yeah, I like the turtle a lot still. It's pretty, I like how neutral it is. The turtle will simply eat whoever you throw into its mouth. Which is entirely fair. It's kind of what you were saying last time. Like, there's a boat there, it'll eat the boat. There's a person there, it'll eat the person. That's fine with whatever. Um, I have to say, this is the first, like, this is the first event from this book that I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely did read this book. Uh, Okay, I'm glad you remember the feet part. Yeah, I very vividly remember the feet part. (laughs) There's no way as, like, a fucking whatever age I was when this came out like 13 or 14 year old that you can mm-hmm. read that and not remember oh yeah the the big guy who kicks people off cliffs with his big stinky feet right yeah yeah his big he's got big stink lines coming off of them and he's got like warts and shit all over them like a little he, he's like oh I stepped in something earlier sorry about that <laughs> God, he does say squishy. that he says that he stepped in something, but like on the inside, like he then he like put his foot his foot in the boot, like and just been squishing around in it all day. Uh, all right, man, whatever works for you. <laughs> I'm so glad this guy doesn't wear socks because I think that would make it worse. <laughs> like like socks are good to wear for like your feet health, but also if you're this guy, they just I I think they would just kill everyone. I, that ship has sailed, I think. His feet health is already fucked. Yeah, it is. I, he seems fine with it. I have to assume they're just, like, hoofs at this point, right? <laughs> I think it would be extremely funny if he's just, like, waiting up there for someone, but, like, because he has not taken his feet out of those boots in, like, months, he just, like, dies of trench foot. <laughs> he's immune to trench foot. He's, like, mythologically, <laughs> like... Oh, it's because he's the son of Poseidon, yeah. I I love this fucking series. I love that people get to say shit like you can't go around taming giant turtles without being a son of Poseidon. Like, what a what a silly bullshit sentence that like write. You know what I mean? Uh huh. It's very fun. It is also Skyron's kind of interesting in that like he's very explicitly styled as like an age of sail pirate slash kind of highwayman. And that's kind of like the first example of this kind of thing I think we've seen in this series, where it is almost always either ancient Greek person, modern day person, or ancient Greek and modern day person. And there's never really anything in between. I completely get what you mean. There was a little bit of that with like the the dolphin guy in the last book. Oh, yeah. But it's still kind of more falling into the like ancient guy, modern day sort of thing, I think. I... I... Part, part of me does wonder, because Rick Riordan, God bless him, does sometimes have his foibles. If, like, originally this was meant to be a modern-day thing, and this guy was, like, a Somali pirate, and the editor was just like, no, take that out. I I, I could see that I'm happening not, with the dolphin guy, yeah. I'm not accusing Rick Riordan of doing that. I'm just saying that if I found out that was true, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> um, the next chapter... You've watched shonen anime in your time, right? I've I've been known to partake in in the odd animes. You you've seen a JoJo's, you've seen a Hunter Hunter. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I did. I did. I did. Sob my way through the Chimera Antarch with you. Hazel is a shonen protagonist. <laughs> she learned this from Percy. She learned this from his fucking. Your next line will be, "I drank the wrong poison vial bullshit in Son of Neptune." 
Uh, yes, yeah, but it's not just like her throwing the stand and deliver back at Skyron. It's not just that. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that she sort of expands her powers out, the way that she expands like the base idea of I can manifest treasure into like I can manifest things that people long for. That's that's wizard bullshit. That's that's <laughs> absolute. That's like shonen bullshit. I love it. It's ex- it's extremely good, and I like that it also is um, it's doing the work of tying like her new kind of magician role into like her backstory and her history, like with her being a daughter of Pluto, and she specifically draws on like her experiences of being dead. It makes the fact that she's like a magician now feel a bit less random, which it did before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like when this book started, I was like, okay, but why Hazel? Like, what is the what is mm-hmm. the point of that? But connecting. I think, and also sort of connecting both aspects of Pluto and Hades here, like connecting the idea of like riches and like uh, the magic of the underworld and all that. Yeah, yeah. Bringing that all to bear really makes it clear that like she is the perfect character for this. And I also think it's interesting to choose Hazel. Like the the character of Hazel, um, I think we know uh, like as a child, the experiences of her as a child. Uh, like living with an abusive mother her entire the way that she survived life was by showing people the things that they wanted to see right that's true yeah i don't know if that's like exactly what rick riordan is going for here but i think it like um resonates like i think you could definitely make that reading it's a good reading it's what she had to do with her mom and i think that uh like the way that it just feels very effortless i guess like her falling into like all right skyron will see what he wants to see and i think that makes the mist a lot more interesting too yeah because we've been we've been um divided on like hecate's control over the mist in the past but i think like again the, the filtering through the specific thing like keeps it kind of restrained to it within a specific set of parameter parameters which makes it more interesting than just she can generally manipulate the mist yeah yeah definitely i mean if you view if you view the entirety of the mist as that too and kind of back read that it makes things like the mist forms instead of magic make a lot of sense too like yeah uh like you create these these forms of people that people want to see like like broadly like yeah i would like to have a guardian here i would like to i would like my friend alabaster uh or like not alabaster but the professor guy i would like i would like him to be around I don't fucking know. Dude guy. Uh-huh. I'm sure I have it here. I just realized this is a 57 page page Google doc. It might be kind of hard at this point. No, wait, wait. Do you put all your notes in the same document? Uh, I, I put all my notes in. Uh, I have a Percy Jackson in the Olympians notes. I have a Kane Chronicles notes. And I ha- now I have a Heroes of Olympus notes. That is insane to me. Good luck with that filing system. It's going okay. I I put like all the books from the beginning are at the bottom, and all I I make all the stuff from the newest stuff at the top, so I can just immediately go to it. Uh, and I do not have the guy's name written down, but yeah, it, the, my system works out. It's fine. <laughs> it's, the system it, it's works. All, it's all right here for me to reference if I need to remember like some summary I wrote for fucking thirty books ago. But not if you need to know the name of one of the main characters from one of our favorite short stories. I forgot to write my notes for Sun of Magic. Okay, I'm gonna lift the curtain here really fast. My gun, my note. I have five notes for Sun of Magic. Apparently, um, oh wow, they were one guns, two <laughs> debate me, three fat, 
four, does Hecate worship God? And five, <laughs> this was written by a 16-year-old who plays MMOs so hard. <laughs> uh, yes, it is Dr. Claymore. Dr. Claymore. Okay, gotcha. Well, anyway, I, I, I like... I like what the mist is turning into in this book. Yeah. I mean, it'll never quite meet the heady heights of uh, the mist being like a thing that is just an Annabeth bag that she sprays on Tyson's face to make them not have to do the facial prosthesis anymore. But, oh, you know. yeah. I forgot <laughs> about that. Oh, my God. Again, I'm not saying I'm not saying that like Heroes of Olympus was like a primary reason that those movies got killed. But given how central the mist is becoming as a concept, again, I don't think this helps. I'm actually, hmm, sorry. I, I, this is me going back to some bullshit I said earlier. But Thalia was 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 Thalia the older sibling? I forget. Between her and Jason. Yeah. Yeah, she was older. That, hmm. I'm thinking about like the 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 lines between she is like the only other character who we know extensively used the mist as like like very purposefully, right? Hmm. And you know that Annabeth she's... can do it a little, but not, like, to that extent. And she's also a character who, like, probably especially as, like, an older sibling, had to, like, put up and act and do, and, like, act in specific ways, show people what they wanted to see, uh, to protect herself and her, like, little brother from an abusive parent. Mm-hmm. This is just a, a through line that I think is, that I guess exists. I it's think a good through line. It's something to keep in mind, I guess. Wait, is Jason older than her now? I, she was, is. A, she she was a tree be. for a couple of years and then she was a hunter of Artemis so she stopped aging. Yeah, she stopped aging entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, that's a W for Jason, I guess. Why is that a W? Because uh, he has to be the older sibling now, which means that he makes the rules. Oh yeah, yeah, that's Why true. have we gotten so little fucking Thalia and Jason interaction in these books? I don't know. I need her to be back. It's insane to me that you would like take a like a fairly significant uh, side character like Thalia, have a twist be that she has a secret brother, and then just have them talk like once in Lost Hero, and that's it. It's kind of nutty, right? I I need her to like be a main character in the last book, please. At least fucking Iris message him. Yeah, sometimes, please. <laughs> like I guess maybe she doesn't know. Like maybe she just doesn't know what he's up to. No, but she must. I... Yeah, because she was at Camp Half Blood. She was like it, hanging around. Yeah, it's it's confusing. Uh, Hazel says a line here that is kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, uh. She says like she couldn't believe this guy was related to Poseidon too. Percy is so nice. What? How? How is this possible? Then she remembered that Poseidon had a changeable personality. Like. I think Percy would tell Hazel to fuck off if she said this to him. Uh huh. <laughs> I think I, I I just I I do not believe that Percy Jackson would appreciate the implication that all of his positive qualities depend on what mood his dad was in the night that he fucking gave it to his mom. Yeah, yeah. There's the implication of that, and then like I understand what she's saying, right? Like his mood shifts like the sea and all of that. Uh -huh. That's that's yeah. fine. We're in Heroes of Olympus now. All of the gods have changeable personalities. That's kind of the whole bit. <laughs> that is also true. It's just a very funny line to read, especially right before fucking, uh, fucking uh, Pluto comes by and is like, I, I temporarily got a hold on my like shifting personalities to talk to you. 
Well, but I guess I guess to give her, to give her the benefit of the doubt, she's not so much talking about like the Greek Roman aspect. She's talking about like different interpretations of the same god. Of course, of course. I I guess if we look at where those lines blur, then I I think it's still funny to just say. I, no, I think I think it is like a weird thing for that to be a revelation to her. Uh huh. An opportunity was missed, I think. Because uh, uh-huh. we have we have a cool sniper character, but he doesn't do the cool sniper character thing that you need to do, where he can like bounce his shots off things. Ooh, yeah. I, I wish he did that. I wish he like got one last shot in, like as he was falling, and like bounced something off the cliff or something like that. Yeah, or even just like he's like firing wildly at the cliffs, and the bullets are bouncing everywhere, and Hazel and Jason have to like duck for cover or something. It would be pretty cool. He he really does just like not. I mean, he's surprised. I get that. It's a good plan. Like they, they, they do it's it a good. good. Plan. Uh, but he, he really just is like, okay, guess I'm dead now. He, I simply think that he should be able to like throw a piece of eight and then bounce a bullet off that. Like he's an ultra kill. Yeah, yeah. This is my request for Rick Ryden to go More back and do a new, edi- a new edition of this book with that in. Yes. <laughs> more, more shooting coins. More day aside. God, please more deicide. <laughs> uh, speaking of deicide, and I guess well, speaking of death and gods, uh, what do you think of this co- this uh, conversation with Pluto? Pluto simply does not see Hazel. Uh-huh. He, he does not see it. How so? I ju- just in terms of like er- every time they have to interact in any way or indirectly through Thanatos, he's just like I do not see it, so that he doesn't have to bring her back to the underworld. Yeah, Which I just think is funny. Yeah, I. It's an interesting relationship because we are seeing a different version of the like, Poseidon. We are back in Deadbeat Dad Tactics Advance Plus. Absolutely. Uh, it's very much like I don't see you for your own good. Like, okay. Sure, Dad. <laughs> good to hear. Thank you for coming to Thanksgiving for a minute. <laughs> I do like how how they part ways. Like I think his last line is sweet. Like saying like you know yeah. like like you know he, even though he did visit her, he he doesn't want to see her back in the underworld. Like he he's gonna pretend he wasn't here. I, that's that's nice. But it is it's definitely like the softest we have ever seen Pluto slash Hades. Who definitely uh, this is actually kind of becoming a pattern where the, the Olympians are, like, absolutely awful, just, like, straight-up abusive parents in um, in PJO, and then, like, their Roman aspects are, are, like, less shitty. Like, Hades treated Nico like shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, still, though, I think Hades... The Hades and Nico relationship was one of the better ones out of all the parentage, out of all the parent ones. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess Hades at least interacted with him, but there was, I mean, that that also carries through to like we talked about this with um, Ares and Mars and like uh, oh, definitely a, a with Clarice and Frank. Yeah, there is a there is a temperedness to the Roman aspects that isn't there with the Greek ones, who are more mm-hmm. like wild and uh, prone to prone to huge bursts of emotion, right? Yeah, definitely. Which again, maybe that's could be something, but also the aligning like. It, but also they're confederates also they are the confederacy like <laughs> now just textually god i wish he hadn't clarified that yeah <laughs> like, i guess we could be ultra too generous and be like oh well mars was just a confederate but 
Like Mars and Aphrodite were the only Confederates, but <laughs> they're the only ones who we explicitly saw chilling out in wherever the fuck that was. Fucking Georgia? I don't know. Georgia? I think I I wanted to say Charlestown, but I don't think that's right. Charles Town. <laughs> fuck, we can't do this. We can't do this. Uh, listen to the bonus episodes. Stream Black Cells. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of stakes going on currently. Uh-huh. This this is kind of something that comes up in the conversation with Pluto as well, where we've got, like, we need to go to the House of Hades to stop Gaia from resurrecting Harami, but also we need to do it to rescue Percy and Annabeth, who are now trapped in Tartarus, but also Leo has to face down a specific giant who can, like, eat fire or something, but also um, Pacify will like threaten all demigods if she rebuilds her domain, question mark, whatever the fuck that means. So Hazel has to master the mist and stop her. And it kind of seems like we've got like four, four entirely different driving forces for the plot, kind of all heading in the same direction, and it feels like a bit much. A little bit, right? I mean, I think there are things that are... There are certain aspects that are like making it... <sighs> Like, if they were all in different... Like, if they're all headed for different directions, it would be worse. Uh, everyone seems to be going for the House of Hades. Like, it, it, but it'll be a Hagrid's clusterfuck, right? <laughs> it'll be a little bit that. I mean, that's kind of... That's kind of what I'm saying is kind of like... It feels like we're getting motivation after motivation piled on, each with its own bespoke timer also. Uh, yeah. To yeah. go to the House of Hades. And I'm like, well, maybe some of these could be places that we stop at along the way or something. So it doesn't feel like the we're going to have like 18 different finales going on at once. Yeah, that's true. Like the stuff with the stuff with pacify uh having to like close like open or close the doors of death. Um the resurrection of Gaia. Uh fuck there's more too probably. Probably. I don't know is Frank doing anything? Frank's probably up to something. Frank is probably like, "Oh, I have to I have to eat this entire plate of mashed potatoes in five days at the house of Hades, <laughs> or I or I'll get the meal for five dollars. But I eat for free if I eat the whole thing. Yeah, that sounds about right. Sure. Sure. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, should we go to the underworld? Speaking of Hades. Yes. First of all, Rick Riordan. How dare you? How dare Rick Riordan? What? How dare he do this with all with with the curse and whatnot? Yeah, yeah. Can, can, can I ask you a question? Uh-huh. Because I can't remember if I, like, hallucinated this or if it was, like, a fan thing or something. But I swear to God, there was a bonus chapter of Death Note where Light wakes up in the, the Shinigami world and he has to, like, suffer every single uh, death that he inflicted with the Death Note now that he's dead. What the fuck? And I'm like, this is exactly what's happening to Percy in these chapters, actually. I mean, that is what's happening, right? Percy <laughs> is being made to... Is everything that he's ever visited upon someone else is being visited upon him. And he's he's having a horrible time of it. He is. Like, oh, this is a really good concept, right? We've gone through enough books now with Percy that, like, we know that he has caused some fucking damage. They shout out the teleco- the bait- the fucking younglings that he killed. <laughs> yeah, the fucking volcano full of children that he torched. It's- they're- they're- Rick Riordan is holding no punches back. Everything 
per- Percy has ever done wrong, he is being made to confront, and I really like it. I really, I yeah, I really enjoy this. I think it's like it's such a clever decision for like to do with the two characters who have the most history in this series, because Annabeth and Percy have had the most adventures. They have had like the the most victories. And so it makes sense that when you've got them on their own without the newer cast who are less established, you make them do a fucking speedrun of all those victories inverted. Right. And it's not just the sort of like, not hacky, but low impact stuff with like, we're bringing back Kelly, we're bringing back the cat. Yeah. It's, it's really making, uh, it's really making their actions feel like, like they meant something like not just in the moment or what they meant to the story then, but like to the i guess the cosmic order of thing it makes it seem like okay the monsters were killed that's this is a world where you're killed you're not gone forever right Mm -hmm. it really delivers on that in a way that like uh garyon comes back and he's mean again and uh phineas is down here like that wouldn't be as interesting i don't think yeah definitely and there are so many standout bits I love when the R.I. tell Bob, like, tell Bob the truth about, like, what Percy did. And Percy's like, like, no, he, like, tries to object. But then uh, he says, but then the narration goes up. Even as he said it, Percy felt like a liar. He'd left Bob in the underworld and haven't given him a thought since. What made them friends? The fact that Percy needed him now? Percy always hated it when gods used him for their errands. Now Percy was treating Bob the same way that's that's like good shit that's impactful it's very impactful speaking of being a shonen protagonist that's also i think what percy is doing here yeah because the revelation that he has been a bad friend to bob basically crushes him yeah the power of friendship has failed we we've known since book one percy is all about friendship that's his big thing right absolutely his fatal flaw is that he cares too much about the people he loves and i think he broadly has he has a lot of people in a lot of places that he has like made deep relationships with or tried to Mm -hmm. and that creates vulnerability right yeah absolutely like not just vulnerability for him but vulnerability on their parts and percy's never really thought about that before like he he's been a protagonist in a YA book series who doesn't really have to think about like too hard about the pe- the character from three books ago that he encountered. Yeah. Absolutely. And I like that this, this kind of like, I think also um, kind of, it almost plays into this being like his fatal flaw. Yeah. Where like his, his, his fatal flaw is not just being loyal to his friends, but like being loyal to the people who are right in front of him to the point where he would like sacrifice the world for them. Yeah. And I think the fact that he he doesn't think about the character from three books ago is like that, that's an extension of that that is like he's he's so laser focused on like the people he's shoulder to shoulder with that he doesn't think about calypso and that percy talks about it feeling like a dagger in his heart it feels like a dagger in the reader's heart too for people who've yep. been like sort of reading it the way that we do because like we know that calypso is the best chapter in like the ser- one of the best chapters in the series right absolutely and hearing Percy just straight up admit that he hasn't even thought about her. Like he he planted that flower and then did some and then just like went on with his life. Mm-hmm. That is like hard to swallow, right? He 
he's he says it himself percy should should have followed up the calypso made sure the gods sprang her from the exile on Gigia like they promised but he hadn't treated her any better than he treated bob he hadn't even thought that much about her that is it's so blunt with it, it it's so direct it absolutely you you get the, the way that it is written gets across the idea that like he's fucking crushed he is like crumbling to the ground yeah because he understands he like because he cares so much he is not just made to crumble when his friends are being hurt. The fact that he is the one who hurt them. Like, yeah, he is the one who ultimately like saw, like maybe didn't see it, but didn't notice the vulnerability that he was creating in his friends and the people, in the people who cared about him. And just, and because of that ignorance, because of that, like oversight, they were hurt. Calypso cursed him after that. Calypso won. Like at some point, Calypso, cursed annabeth and hoped that she would die desperate and alone and that is a a a degree of like not malice exactly but like a you can see her like at the in the dead of night like wishing for that in her dreams right even if she doesn't want to or even just like thinking that in a particularly like grim moment and then maybe even regretting it later but like the the curse is kind of done exactly exactly right it's incredible like this is calypso as is said in here has not been brought up much since that Mm -hmm. i think this is one of the best ways that to follow up on that yeah and i think it also i think invoking calypso is a really it's a really good pull for this set of chapters in particular because Mm -hmm. like while we've been in tartarus we've been picking up on a thread that we got with the calypso chapters which was the like Maybe not all the Titans are evil, maybe not all the monsters are evil. And Percy's been kind of picking up on that again as he's been going. But what this does is kind of like, it pushes that in the other direction. And it's like, it's not just, ooh, maybe the bad guys are a little bit good. It, it like, in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, you're actually pure evil. It's like, it's quite nuanced. It doesn't make me think that Percy is a horrible guy or anything. But just points out that, like, he is not, like, a fucking shining bastion of moral purity right like he's he's a a good person but he's still a guy who can fuck up and like do bad things percy is a 16 year old boy right like Mm -hmm. he he for as much as we're talking about like this exposes like part of his character flaw like this is like uh like this is something wrong that he has done at the same time most of what is happening to percy here is stuff he did for the right reasons like stuff that he stuff that he did like he he killed monsters to save the world right Mm -hmm. he he was doing he was saving the world he couldn't even think about like the people he left behind percy is not a god he can't be everywhere everywhere at once there's a degree to which um there's a degree to which like the unfairness here i think is really important Mm -hmm. Uh, like percy is a percy blames himself for not like forcing the gods to immediately go and spring calypso he couldn't do that there's nothing he could do to actually do that but he blames himself anyway he couldn't he couldn't have done that the gods wouldn't have done that no matter what he did they didn't do anything else that he asked them to do right right like they they made all the all the necessary concessions to to like satisfy the river sticks basically yeah 
and that was it like he he does not have the power to make zeus go and like and fucking get calypso out the fact that he does blame himself for that kind of it's like you like you said it's he is he is just one guy he's just he's just a little guy he's just a little birthday boy he is, and unfortunately, it is not his birthday because it is, it is Polybides who's going after them. <laughs> Come on, Polybides' redemption arc—not like morally, but in terms of like being a well-written character. I hope so, right? We haven't gotten a lot of him so far. He's just sort of—he's just sort of there yelling, uh, but maybe he'll be cool. We, you know, we we pulled out of a real nosedive with Frank from the last book. If we get a lot of Polybates in Tartarus in this book, because we should, because he's the anti-Poseidon. Yeah, and there are there's there's literally fire water around them, right? Yeah. God, do you think if Percy had killed enough of those R.I., he would have like felt the sensation of being smashed under a bridge and drowned? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he would have like there. There are too many like like percy jackson you know that he is like he is getting his like body like stretched out and also his limbs lopped off uh because yeah, of the oh bad yeah guy. absolutely i kind of wish they literally like rick riordan literally just went through every single curse that went that like activated god yeah I, I guess i guess you can't draw attention to the fact that he killed a kid one time but like i did i actually i think we should try and um because some of these are unspecified like where they came from and I thought it'd be fun if we like went through them and tried to figure out like maybe where they came from or why. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I I did that. And then I wrote them down. and I was like, these could be a lot of things. Like the first one is being stabbed in the gut. Yeah, like I've, I'm sure we could go back and be like, oh yes, of course he stabbed a, a party pony in the gut one time or something. <laughs> God, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Uh, but he he didn't like he didn't actually did he kill Luke? I forget. Uh, no. I think Luke exploded. Luke exploded, right? Okay. Um, I I think the big one because you've been talking about it a lot. Uh, Phineas, Phineas comes up here. Yeah, this comes back, which is cool. Yeah, Percy, Percy's sort of like manipulative, big manipulative move in the Son of Neptune comes back and bites him. Uh, and I, this is a a pretty good like. It's poison. It's fucking he he. he Guy has promised that he would die in a much more terrible way is being fulfilled. Yep, she said you will die in a much worse way than Gorgon blood. And as Percy is like choking on the taste of Gorgon blood and getting hammered with a thousand other curses, while Annabeth dies and thinks that he's ditched her, I think it is very reasonable for him to think like, oh, this is it. <laughs> she <Yeah>. was right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I I also what I enjoy here is uh, Percy. Being on the border of death, I like the description of it. Like the idea, I think he says like, it feels like his consciousness consciousness is tied to the top of his head like a balloon. Yeah, yeah. And it is like starting to float away. That is a very strange simile, but I really like it. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. I ha- I have to wonder if Rick Ryden has ever been trapped in the underworld and repeatedly cursed by all the people he's killed because he he evokes it very well. Yeah, yeah, I really do think he might have been. Uh, <laughs> and that, like, lifts the veil to, like, what Tartarus is, right? He starts to see it as, like, the the weird god that it actually is. It's, it's like, th- this is, like, some, some kind of baby's first cosmic horror shit, in, like, a good way, in a way that, like, you know, a 14-year-old will read this and go, oh my god. 
uh-huh where percy is just like basically has his his mind and his body shattered by everything and then has a horrible revelation about the dark god that like is so far above him that it doesn't even like register his existence yes yes like annabeth has kind of already made this revelation to an extent uh, but Percy sees it full on. He like comes to a deeper understanding about like the way that everything that moves inside is just another function of the body of Tartarus. The mm-hmm. way that the monsters moving through are just like the blood cells of this thing. And I, I think that is <laughs> the idea that Nico had to like see this the entire time is fucking horrifying for sure. <laughs> Yeah, no wonder that he is just, like, sitting on his own on the boat all the time. Yeah, poor guy. Also, I want to I wanna, uh, give, give a little shout-out to Rick here, because um, he also tried to do this kind of metaphor or, like, this kind of concept with the, the Red Pyramid in that book. Uh-huh. It's like it was a big living organism, uh, and it was really bad in that. It, it didn't work, and it wasn't scary. Uh, and this is a significantly improved version of that. So good job, Rick, on taking that concept and doing it really well this time. Good job, Rick. Annabeth does a suplex. I think that's cool. She does do a suplex, which is very cool. It's so, it's really like, it, I think suplex is probably one of the better wrestling moves to kill people with because it's really <laughs> easy to kill people with a suplex. <laughs> Have people like died in the ring from doing that? I mean, it's definitely one of the moves where like you are, if you're doing it a certain way, you're putting, you're smashing their neck, right? Their neck and their head and their spinal column. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The idea of Annabeth like studying wrestling matches to learn moves is fun to me. <laughs> uh, well, she had she has to have something as a backup when she loses her knife. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, she's felt useless this entire time because she didn't have it, but she should have simply pulled out the fucking suicide dive. She should have <laughs> gone on the top ropes. They never expect the sunset flip. She should have done that. Hey, you know what? Bob... Iapetus, stuff is happening here. Annabeth fucking talking to him, being like, hey, Bob, can you heal Percy? And him just cutting across her and going, no, my name was Iapetus before, is fucking bone chilling. He doesn't, like, go back to Bob by the end of this, right? Like, he calls himself Bob, but he... What I mean there uh, is... Oh, okay. He calls himself Bob, but he isn't, like, the same guy. He He is... He's pretty much merged that personality of Bob and Iapetus in a way. Like he, he is bordering on both sides, uh, in a way that, like you said, is bone chilling, but also really like, really relays just how much he has been like disquieted by learning about Percy, and like what Percy did. Um, and I think it's a like good characterization. Uh, and I, he, he really is bringing like more and more of the voice of the horrifying Titan, right? Absolutely. I hope they don't have to fight him. I hope he like, he, he stays relatively friendly with them. I hope so. I think a fight with him could be like devastating and like, because they die instantly. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Right. Uh, (laughs) he has a very scary broom, but I, I got, I gotta say they are in the underworld still. I do think it would be extremely funny if they just go back to the River Leith and Percy just wipes his memory again. <laughs> That's so fucked. And they, they just fucking men in black neuralize him every couple of months to like make sure that he doesn't step out of line as the janitor. God, that's horrifying, <laughs> but... 
Yeah, I guess you never know. Yeah, maybe that's what Hades has been doing. <laughs> maybe. Oh my god. Hey, Nico is like a good egg, right? Nico, Nico is a good egg. He he went back to check on Bob because the closest thing he has to a friend in the surface world is Percy, who choke slammed him one time. Yeah. <laughs> he talked in like the first series about how his companionship with like skeletons and zombies and shit was all he had for friendship. But now he has a big guy to hang out with. And it turns out what he's doing uh, with that time is talking about how cool his friends are. Yeah, I know this really cool guy named Percy up on the surface, and he's never chokeslammed me. He's never done it once. He didn't <laughs> kill my sister. Okay, he did once, but... <laughs> God. Can you imagine if fucking Percy killed an R.I. and he, like, then had to experience, like, being crushed in a big bronze automaton. Oh, God. I forgot that's how she died. That was horrible. It was fucked. Really, like... what? Okay. Think hard about it. You could see one curse visited upon Percy from, like, a past death or, like, Mm -hmm. an encounter in the series. What would it be? I mean, again, I think it should be being smashed under a concrete bridge and drowning because justice for whoever that rando kid was who was still in the bridge when Percy exploded it in Last Olympian. Incredibly fair. <laughs> what about you? Uh, cleanly sliced in half like the, like the Minotaur was. <laughs> God. He just fucking, like, what's the fucking guy's name in One Piece? Uh, the clown. Buggy? Fully goes buggy, Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, I knew a One Piece thing. Hey, good work. Uh, but I do have One Piece left to say about this. Uh-huh. Should we do not hat? We should do not hat. You go first this week, because I, I think I went first last time. Uh, I don't know, maybe Calypso's at a stage in her life where maybe she's just, like, done with men. <laughs> I hope so, That kind of right? seems to be the vibe. Yeah, I'm wishing her the best. <laughs> so, I mean, was the curse that she could never find any companionship or just that, like, all, men... Because it was always like, oh, men would fa- would wash up on your island who you would fall in love with but couldn't stay, right? I, I choose to selectively remember that it was phrased as heroes wash up on her island. Okay, okay. But I mean, like, maybe that means the men can never stay, but the women can, right? Oh, I see, I see. This is a loophole situation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The, the homophobic Greek gods, famously. <laughs> Just didn't think about it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think that Skyron is, like... You know how it's certain, like... You, you go to, like, a place that's, like, heavy in, like, kink and stuff, and they'll do, like, uh-huh. boot shining? I don't actually know this. What are you talking about? Like, you know, like, leather, like, boots and stuff. People, like... There's, like, a... like a Maybe it'll be, they're like a stand or something like that where you can get your boots shined, and it's sort of, like, I a... The, like, they had those out, like, outside of, like, stock exchanges. And both of them both of them are true but it's also okay. like a, like it's also gay um I gotcha. it's also like a gay kink thing and i think that skyron is just like the worst guy to show up at one of those <laughs> he is banned from so many of those clubs this is why he just he just has to hang out on this fucking on this cliff where nobody lives but i do imagine that he keeps them immaculately clean oh 100 his shoe his shoes are incredibly clean i don't know an adult hero comes by to give him a nice tongue bath on those on those things, so he'll, <laughs> he'll take it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I think that's the show for us today. 
Yeah, that that's a good note to end on. I think that's very us. I guess so. <laughs> Just like looking back at the past like two years, like is this us? Is this what we are? Again, this 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 was the preemptive Rick Ryder revenge for a different episode we did. So like, yes. I suppose so. Well, our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore N on Twitter. We're hosted by the Moonshot Network. You can find them at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. We are uh, findable on Twitter at Unwise Girls, as well as many other social medias. You can find our personals. You can find a link to our Discord server. You can get updates on when we are posting episodes, as well as visual companions on occasion, like when we talk about covers and stuff. Uh, also... If you want to support us, you can go and leave a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice. A review is also nice. You can also tell your friends about us. Uh, maybe don't tell them about this episode unless they... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they have certain proclivities, which is fine. Uh, and, you know, we're more than happy to welcome anyone in. Is that a demographic? Is this what we're doing with our lives? Feet fiends? Sure. <laughs> and... If you want to support us monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you can get the Discord server role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you can get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Uh, if you would like to listen to last week's bonus episode, uh, where we are definitely way more normal than we were in this episode, and we absolutely <laughs> do not discuss uh, a character in Black Sails and his confirmed canonical diaper kink... Uh, head, head on over to <laughs> patreon.com slash unwisegirls and for five dollars a month you can get the discord roll of venus is chosen all of our bonus content and a special thank you at the end of the episode unless you send us a message like hey i don't really want to be associated with you all anymore <laughs> <laughs> but until then uh, for this week i'd like to thank simcoe i love sammy's great uh danny tanner mercy veronica friend brie and erica thank you everyone Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. that umemoshi baby chew it slowly done quit your fancy asmr dreaming and wake up what we're back who's back okashina podcast anime with friends of course oh never heard of it i have who Who are are you? you i'm victoria i'm joining okashina podcast as the third chair Nani? Would everyone stop screaming? Well, I'm glad you asked. Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends is a podcast in which two childhood besties, me, Sabrina, and you, Don, and you, Victoria, watch anime together and then discuss what we watched with restrained delight. That's three people. Mm, sounds boring. I'm going back to bed. You can't! You'll miss all the weird, wild, under-the-radar anime we cover. I never agreed to this. It's fun! Check us out on the Moonshot Podcast Network. Insert joke.